It's good to be here again, back home. I've been uh, flying around all over the place in the last week or two, which is really good, uh, but it's always good to come back home and to share with you. I'm going to read from Ephesians 6 and verses 1 to 9. This is the passage that Pastor Phil has given me to speak on this morning. I know you've been going through the book of Ephesians. So it's Ephesians 6, 1 to 9. And it says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and respect with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Let's just pray before I share. Father, we do thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, we don't just want to read it and what it meant uh, to those who first heard it, Lord, we need to know what it means to us today. And we pray, Lord, by your spirit, you would come minister to us, uh, speak to us, challenge us, refresh us, help us, Lord, to be obedient children of a loving Father. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning we're continuing um, to look at Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and we are again going to consider his teaching on what it means to be a Christian family and to be a Christian in the workplace. Um, I was reading yesterday, the Mail Online um, said this, this was the headline, Mail Online yesterday, one in four adolescents is a criminal One in four adolescents is a criminal. It said this, youth crime is getting worse, with a quarter of those aged 11 to 16 admitting having committed an offence in the past year. A rising proportion confess that they've been involved in crimes across the board, including shoplifting, assaults, handling stolen goods, vandalism and fair dodging according to an official survey. Just put your hand up if you've got a child between the ages of 11 and 16. Yeah, they're probably involved in some of that stuff. Check them out afterwards, according to that survey. Um, Last year, back in July 2017, I wasn't just talking about uh, those secondary school children, it was talking about primary school children. This was the headline. It said, surge in number of primary school children expelled for attacking teachers, figures sure. This is the number of primary school children expelled for attacking teachers has increased by 75% over the past four years. Last year, the equivalent of one child a day was permanently excluded for physically assaulting an adult, according to data released by the Department for Education. Experts have blamed the breakdown in classroom discipline 
on a changing culture where the rights of students or children are seen as equal or even more important than those of the teachers. A third, 32% of primary school children were permanently excluded last year for attacking a teacher, making it the second biggest category after persistent disruptive behaviour. A further 8% were excluded for verbal assaults against their teachers. Anybody here with primary school children? Yeah, have a word with them as well. It seems that the reality is that um, we, we've tried all kinds of things in our society, haven't we, to, to help our children and to help family life. We, we see changing educational policy. Uh, we see things set up in communities like uh, community projects, maybe youth groups. Uh, parents are given parenting classes. And there are lots of other things thrown at, at this issue, but nothing seems to work. And according to the Bible, and particularly to the Apostle Paul, his answer to these things, these societal ills, as it were, is regeneration. Now, we, we hear this word regeneration banding about as well, don't we? We hear about regeneration projects. Um, Josh and I went visiting some children for after school club um, a while ago, and we had to go on to an estate in Bradford where I hadn't been there for a while, and it looks like a lot of money's been thrown at it. All these new houses up and everything. It looked quite smart in areas um, around there. And around there, still the same as it always was. But it seems that, you know, they just seem to throw money at a problem. And say, so we're just going to regenerate this place. But the problem is, it's still the same people that live there. You see, the problem isn't the housing or, or the groups or, or, or the, the money they're throwing at it. It's, it's people. And when Paul talks about regeneration, he's meaning something very, very different. He's saying... People need to be born again of the Spirit of God. That's the kind of regeneration Paul is speaking about. He's saying people need a new heart. People need to be able to submit to the Lord Jesus and come under his lordship and his authority. That's how people are changed. That's how societies are changed. Being born again of the Spirit of God transforms relationships, which in turn transforms society and so we know as believers don't we that the answer to these problems that we read about in the paper that we see in our own city is the Lord Jesus Christ and people coming to faith in him and they're being changed uh, the preached gospel has in times past transformed society we know that if we read things of church history we always remember with fondness as if it was just like yesterday that Wesley and Whitfield and those guys were riding up and down the land and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the society was changed. There was a great awakening and the, the trouble that we had in the land and the problems that were there were dealt with by the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the answer. That is the answer to our society's ills. We've got all these governments and counsellors and all saying we need to do this and we'll try this and try this. It's not going to work. They need the Lord Jesus Christ to change. And Paul writing here uh, to the church at Ephesus, he's talking about Christian families and relationships. And his contention is that a Christian family should be different to the families around us in the world. A regenerate family should be different to an unregenerate family in our society. We should look different. We should behave differently the challenge is there for us isn't it do we behave differently do we look differently 
to those families around us. Now, Paul has already addressed um, in his letter, you would have heard this maybe last week, I don't know if you did it last week, but uh, the role of husbands and wives. I'm glad Pastor Phil didn't give me that one to preach on. That might have got me into a lot of trouble. Um, But he speaks about the roles of husbands and wives, and now he turns his attention to families and children and other household members. But I don't want to go back to what was taught last time on husbands and wives. And I don't want to jump forward to, to Simon next week speaking about the armour of God, which would have been much more fun for me to preach. And actually, Phil, thank you for that. But uh, I don't want to go there. But, but what I'm speaking about this morning is set in between these two things. So we have to consider the context in which Paul is saying these things. Paul is concerned that the Christian family should look different to the non-Christian family. Now, into the Greco-Roman world in which Paul speaks these words, men are very much in charge. The women have no say. The children have no say. The household slaves have no say. Men are in charge. And Paul takes the idea that men are to be obeyed without question, and he reframes it in a Christian way, in such a way that would have been totally against the prevailing culture. You know, we are, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be uh, swimming against the tide of our culture. And Paul is totally swimming against his prevailing culture in some of these things he writes to the church at Ephesus. But Paul begins his teaching on family relationships with this statement way back in chapter 5 and verse 21. I'm sure this was covered. But he says, submit to one another... Out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. None of this like you submit to the man. He's the head. He's in charge. You guys have no say in anything. Paul says no. As a Christian family we begin by submitting to one another. Why? Well out of reverence for Christ. Paul is teaching something very revolutionary. Something very challenging into the society in which he lived. It ties in very much with uh, something he said in Galatians 3.28 as well, where Paul said this, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is quite a statement for him to make in his society. And for all you guys, and and, and Christians generally, um, who give Paul a hard time, and say it wasn't for women, I think you need to read the whole Bible and read everything he said. He's very much in favor of equality. But Paul frames equality, he frames it in God's framework of, of, of headship and, and, and leadership and what a family should look like. But he's saying it matters not whether you're a male or a female, whether you're a Greek or a Jew, whether you're slave or free, you are equal in Christ Jesus if you have come to him by faith. What a glorious message. What a glorious liberating message to those who would have heard him back then. But it's just as glorious and just as liberating today for those of us who take it on board. You see, there's no doubt about it. There is a worldly onslaught on the family. Uh, Familial roles are being done away with. Gender is being done away with. Children are being confused and abused by a state that denies the existence of God. And it seeks, therefore, to impose its own reality on the world. But a reality devoid of God 
is also a reality devoid of meaning. A reality devoid of God is also a reality devoid of meaning. As the state suffers from amnesia, forgetting our Christian heritage, as it seeks freedom from the past and freedom from the authority of God, it leads us on a road to nowhere, to social destruction. You know, I, I don't think it's of little significance that after Paul speaks to the church at Ephesus about the Christian family and, and household codes, as some people named it, um, as he speaks about those things, he then goes on to talk about the need to put on the armor of God. Again, I don't want to jump into next week's message, but, but uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says this. Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, Satan rages against the rule of God. And so Paul sets out the family rule for the Christian family, and then he says, yeah, but we're battling against the enemy, the powers of this dark world. And we find that, don't we, in, in our society today, that we have what we believe is a Christian model for family, for marriage and everything. But you, you start talking about those things and you are raged against by a world who does not want to be under God's authority. What are some of the key battlegrounds? This, this is a couple of things I think. One of the key battlegrounds is creation. You know, I, I think, um, you know, the more we, um, our kids hear from their teachers, uh, from, from their schools, that actually there is no God and you're not made in God's image, um, you're telling society that actually you've got no inherent value. If there is no creator, there is no God, if we're not actually made in the image of God, then everything is meaningless and purposeless. That actually you can be who you want to be and do what you want to do because there's no accountability there's no guide, guidelines for these things. I heard somebody say this once. If there's no God, you just go from the goo to the zoo to you. I like that. If there's no God, you just go from the goo to the zoo to you. We're nothing more than advanced animals. And this is what society is teaching our children. I uh, heard uh, a message from a guy called Dr. Joe Boot. That's a great name, isn't it? Dr. Joe Boot. He's a Canadian uh, cultural um, theologian. He said this. He said, have you ever done a dot-to-dot um, thing? You know, dot-to-dot, you've got all these dots, and they've got n they're numbered, so you follow from number to number, and eventually a picture emerges, and you see what it is. You start off with just a load of dots and numbers, but then a picture uh, emerges, and it gives the dots meaning and purpose. What just looked like a load of dots then has meaning and purpose as you join the dots together. But he said this, he said, imagine a dot to dot with no numbers. And you can just go from whichever dot to any other dot that you want and just make it up yourself. Ultimately then, the picture that, that arrives is devoid of meaning or purpose. And he said, that's a little bit like it is in society today. He says, education is not to no purpose. Education should reveal purpose. It's like the idea is, in education today, he suggests, is that our children are being taught, well, you've got to work it out for yourself. Uh, you know, you just sort of decide what you want to be and who you are and find your place in this world. Education um, is not to, to no purpose. 
But actually, he suggests that education should reveal purpose to our children. Should reveal purpose. Because underpinning education, historically, in our nation, was God and a Christian worldview. So as they were educated, there was a revealed purpose. You're created by God. You're made in his image. This is how you're to live your life. This is what it's all about. But as that's all been pulled away, people and our children in particular, have to find out for themselves who they are and what they should do. You know, it's a, it's a scary time for our children, isn't it? As, uh, as we see uh, children in, in schools in our society and the things that they're being taught and uh, the things that they're having to put up with. And we see sort of uh, this idea of people having to discover for themselves who they are and what they are being played out before our our very own eyes in our society today. It's interesting that if you offered counselling today to someone who is confused about their gender, you can be arrested and locked up for it. But if you go to the state and say, look, I'm confused about my gender, the state will freely pay for a sex change for you. How does that work? Of course, Christian education, and we're going to get onto the passage in a minute, you'll be pleased to know, but just a bit of background stuff. Christian education, because there is a God, gives meaning and purpose and a framework for the life, for life to the children. And our schools used to work on the premise and the foundation that there is a God, and the primary goal of education was to know him and know his ways. And that's no longer the case. Josh and I, we do an after-school club uh, once a week in a state primary school. And it's clear just from these kids, they are clueless about anything to do with Christianity. Clueless. We've got one or two there that have either been to church or go to church, and they're, they're the ones always sticking their hands up. But the others, they, they know nothing. It's not in their home, it's not in their school. They don't go to Sunday school or anything. And we find actually as well, which is incredibly frustrating, that even church schools have capitulated. I was reading just this week that the Church of England have adopted guidelines for dealing with bullying um, which comes straight from their LGBTQ activist group, Stonewall. So they've got this group, Stonewall, who are completely just trying to swamp everybody with their ideology. And the Church of England has taken guidelines from them and put them into their schools. What is that about? I met this week a couple who were in the news last year. Uh, called, you may have heard, heard their names, Nigel and Sally Rowe. Nigel and Sa- Sally Rowe were in the, in the news this uh, past year because they took their six-year-old boy out of a school. They were in a Church of England school on the Isle of Wight. And um, they decided, after talking to teachers and talking to the head teacher at the school, they, they had, uh, because of their conscience, to take their child out of school because a, a, another boy, six-year-old boy, in his class... Um, was suddenly coming to school in a dress rather than um, boys' clothes and wanting to be identified as a she. And Nigel and Sally, as good parents, went to the school and said, look, what's going on? You know, this is confusing our son. He's coming home and saying, what's going on? You know, can I wear a dress or something? You know, what, what, everything. And, and in the end, it got nowhere with the school. One of the things that wasn't reported in the news, which I just found out this week as I spoke to them, was that... Um, the chair of governors in that school was an LGBTQ, whatever letters follow that, activist. He was adamant that uh, that child should be looked after and protected. 
Since then as well, another child in that class came out as well as, as identifying as the opposite sex. So they've pulled both their kids out of school. And you can go on YouTube and you can see Nigel and Sally trying to defend their position before, you know, your Piers Morgans, your Philip Schofields on these programs. And you hear Philip Schofield say to them, you know, actually, it's you two that are the problem. It's you two that are the problem. Friends, we're living in strange times, and especially if we have children in schools at the moment. Perhaps I should actually get to the passage under consideration this morning. Now I've given you that little bit of blurb, but I think that's preparatory work and is useful for considering these verses. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now it's said that the children would have been present when this letter of Paul's was read to the church at Ephesus. It's an interesting thing. I think so back then we pretty safe to say that they didn't send kids out to Sunday school. You know, the kids need to hear what I'm going to say this morning, so you parents will have to tell them afterwards or give them a recording. But it would have been there'd have been a family gathering, and this is how we operate as a family. Uh, you know, we, we are Christians. We're Christian believers, and so Paul's writing this, and the kids would have heard it, and uh, the little kids, the teenagers would have heard it, the parents would have heard it. And what we're reading today, you know, if if other people read uh, Paul's uh, admonition here um, to children obeying their parents, honoring their father and mother, someone in today's world might say, well, that's just a bit archaic, isn't it? That's just belonging to a bygone era. It surely doesn't count today. One man complained, youth today have luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and they talk nonsense when they should be working. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, and they tyrannize their elders. Now this may surprise you, it surprised me, that that was written by Socrates 400 years before the birth of Christ. And I think it reminds us that in every generation of young people, they've had issues with parents. They've had issues with parents. But Paul says here that Christian children, they shouldn't have these issues. They are to honour their parents. The command, which is not a suggestion, is that they are to honour your mother and father. This, of course, we know comes from the Ten Commandments. It's the fifth commandment of the Ten, to be exact. And it's the only one of the commandments that's got a a promise attached to it. And Paul quotes that here from the Ten Commandments. Honour your father and mother so it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So we have in the Ten Commandments, people say the first four commandments are about loving God, the sixth about loving our neighbours. And the first of those loving our neighbour commandments is this, honour your father and mother. So I think what we're suggesting is that loving our neighbour starts at home. Home life starts with how we relate to our parents. And this relationship that we have with our parents, or children have with their parents, is foundational to every other relationship. Augustine recognised this. This is what Augustine said. He said, if anyone fails to honour his parents... Is there anyone he will spare? If anyone fails to honour his parents, is there anyone he will spare? 
And the answer is probably not. Because the relationship between parent and child is the first and primary relationship. Now we're finding, out we, that uh, godless school systems does not encourage children to honour their fathers and mothers. Rather, it seems that schools um, see themselves as uh, uh, parents themselves. Or as they call it in loco parentis. means you're looking after the children on behalf of the parents. But schools are being given more and more things to do for the children. And it's not good for the teachers. So anything that's happening, any problem with the kids, well, we'll give it to the teachers to teach. Sex education, give it to the teachers. Bullying issues, give it to the teachers. Drug education, give it to the teachers. And everything's being given to the teachers. And we as parents as well can say, oh, well, they get dealt with that in school. So we don't need to sort that out for them. But it seems in the current climate in which we live, it's seeing that the state, rather than parents, sees itself as the parents, saving children from what they see as parents' ignorance and backwardness. Aren't you finding sort of increasingly that children are being given powers to make decisions independently of their parents? In fact, they're encouraged not to tell their parents about certain things in schools. So maybe, you know, pregnancy, after morning pill, abortion, things, you know, kids can go and talk to teachers. Parents needn't, needn't even know about these things. And certainly if you are a Christian parent, your views will be seen as ignorant and backward. It's interesting, Paul says, honour your father and mother so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is the command to Christian children. Warren Wiersbe suggests that Paul gives four good reasons why children should be obedient to their parents. We haven't got time today to unpack all these like I would have wanted to, but he says this basically. He says, first of all, they're to be obedient to their parents because they are Christians in the Lord. You're Christians. You're different to your friends. It doesn't matter what your friends are saying to their mum and dad or how rude they are to them, how disobedient they are to them. You are Christian children in a Christian family. So you are Christians, you be obedient to your parents, you honour your father and mother because you are in the Lord, Wearsby suggests. Again from Paul's text here. The second thing is because obedience is right. Paul suggests that. Again, you know, to be in Christ is to serve him and to honour him. So we, we are obedient because it's right to be obedient. Because obedience is commanded, Wearsby says. And because obedience brings blessing it says here you read this to your kids uh, today if they're not here with you right now you can say look what this verse says it says honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth you know and we said about Ananias and Sapphira you know if you if you're not saying if you don't give into the building fund next week you will drop dead but it's another one of those things where it's saying look if you want things to go well in your life, if you want to enjoy long life on the earth, then you honour your father and mother. I mean, this promise was originally given to the Jews as they entered Canaan, but it's now applied through Paul to the Christian believers. What Paul is not saying, he's not guaranteeing that nothing will ever go wrong or you'll live to be a hundred. But the idea being that if you are honouring your Christian parents... And you're obedient to your Christian parents. Your Christian parents will be guiding you and leading you and teaching you rightly. So that you will be safer. 
so that it will keep you from harm, so that it will keep you away from sinning and displeasing God. It will keep you away from certain dangers that could damage or shorten your life. Paul goes on to say in verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Any fathers here who's ever exasperated their children? Yeah, a few honest guys. That's us. You see, the, the society in which Paul writes had no problem with fathers exasperating their children. Um, I, I read this this week. Greek and Roman fathers and teachers often instructed children with beatings. Paul is among the minority of ancient writers who seem to warn against being too harsh in discipline. Greek and Roman society was even harsher on newborn children, since an infant was accepted as a legal person only when the father officially recognized it, babies could be abandoned or, if deformed, killed. Early Christians and Jews unanimously opposed both abortion and abandonment. It's interesting again, isn't it? Speaking into culture, I heard someone speak about abortion this week. They were saying that since the Abortion Act was signed in 1967, which was signed as well by our Queen, Elizabeth II, interestingly, there's been 9 million abortions in our, in our nation in those, uh, those 50 years. In America, in that same time period, there's been 58 million abortions. And if you add those two together, that's the entire population of the UK wiped out. This is going on all the time. And again, you know, if you stand up and say, look, I'm against abortion, what happens to you? You're vilified. You're unfriended on Facebook. You have people saying nasty things about you because the world doesn't want to hear about life. Satan doesn't want life. He wants death. Notice how Paul here says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, so if you're hearing that this morning, you, you mothers think it's okay for you to do that, don't you? You think, well, yeah, fathers, you've got to leave them alone, but I can wind them up as much as I want, my children. Uh, the Greek word that's used there can equally be translated parents. So don't think you mums can get away with it. Uh, parents are not to exasperate, which means to infuriate, to irritate, to annoy, to enrage, to wind up their children. But rather, we are to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The English poet Samuel Coleridge talked with a man who did not believe that children should be given any religious instruction at all. This man claimed that the child's mind should not be prejudiced in any direction. And when he became older, he should be permitted to choose his religious opinions for himself. Coleridge said nothing, but after a while, he asked his visitor if he would like to see his garden. The man said he would, and Coleridge took him out into the garden, where only weeds were growing. The man looked at Coleridge in surprise and said, Why, this is not a garden. There's nothing but weeds here. Well, you see, answered Coleridge, I did not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden a chance to express itself and to choose its own production. The Bible tells us, and Paul's telling us here, that we're not to leave our children to their own devices. We're to guide them. We're to teach them. We're to train them. 
Our evangelism is to begin in Jerusalem. You know, we can spend so much time trying to reach people and and so we should and share the gospel with them. But our evangelism begins in our home with our children. I'm not saying all this as if Kath and I have been wonderful parents and everything's amazing and we've done it all right. I was speaking to somebody recently and they're asking me about uh, our kids and I was sharing with them. And they said, oh, you're really blessed. And I said, well, it's prayer. It's God's grace. It's not that we've got everything right. You know, I can't write a plan out for you and this is how it'll work out. It's, you know, we've been blessed. But, you know, sort of increasingly parents are worried about bringing up their kids. They don't know how to bring them up. They didn't challenge them. I heard this from a retired teacher this week as well, uh, that some parents are so afraid to chastise their children for fear that they will be named and shamed on social media. Can you believe that? Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to tell my kid off because they might stick a picture of me on with something nasty on it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be. What kind of world are we living in? See, we are, as Christians, Paul says, to teach our children to follow Christ or the world will teach them not to. If we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. And parents, we've got to teach our children to follow Christ. It's on us. See, children do not belong to the state. They do not belong to the church. In fact, really, they do not even belong to us as parents. We're just stewards. Children given by God into our care so that we can lead them in the ways of Christ. God has given us children to nurture, to bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Now, uh, I've been away this week. I spent a couple of days down near London to this very grand um, titled event, which was called the Cultural Leadership Symposium. I don't know what, what any of those words really mean. But uh, it was put on by Christian Concern, and we had Andrea Williams here um, last year back in, in November, and she spoke here on Sunday morning after doing uh, a conference the day before here. And um, from that, I, I got an invite, as many others did, along to this Christian Concern event, and it was just really, really interesting. There was a, a few guys there speaking, and uh, there were people like who were homeschoolers, a Christian homeschooling network or whatever, and, and those who'd um, started Christian schools. And it was, just, it was just really, really interesting. And a question was thrown out, which was really challenging. And I throw it out to you now to see if it challenges you. This, uh, this guy got up and he said, um, how do you feel about sending your children to be instructed in a state school? How do you feel about sending your children to be educated and instructed in a state school? He followed that by saying this. He said, there is no way that the first and second century Christian family would have ever given their children over to be taught by the pagans. Well, that's really blooming challenging. I'm thinking, is he, is he suggesting we just take our kids out of school and you know, we homeschool them or whatever? I don't think he was just being a bit provocative in that. But the point he was making is, and we need to be aware of this, that non-Christian education is not neutral education. It is godless education. Our school system at the moment are denying that we're created by God. They're denying that we're sinners, so therefore we've no need of Christ. So what's the answer for that as Christians? And especially you guys here, you know, we've just got Joel left in school now and uh, for, for another year and a bit. But what's the answer to that for us as Christians? Well, some were talking about homeschooling. They've taken the kids out 
and they're homeschooling their children, which I don't think anybody can, everybody can do, but that's what some were doing. Some were talking about, we talk as Christians that we need to plant churches. His suggestion was, why don't we plant schools to educate our kids in? Interesting thought. Obviously, we have Bradford Christian School here in our city already. Uh, one of the suggestions was, you know, why are churches not supporting the Christian school more? You know, why are they struggling? Why, why don't we get around it and say, look, this is where we need to send our kids? But the thing that really came out of this, and maybe what you need to take away as well today, if you're panicking, thinking, is he suggesting I take my kids out of school, um, is that we need to be involved in our school. We need to know what's going on in our school so we can speak up and challenge things. I wonder how many of us, I, I'm th- I was thinking about me and Kath sending our kids to school. Uh, you know, we didn't always know what was going on in school. We didn't always know what they were being taught. You just hand them over and believe, oh, they'll be okay. And by God's grace, they are, and I'm sure many of your kids are as well. But what are they being taught? How do we prepare them to stand up against a society that's trying to pull them away from the Lord Jesus? Well, it's not the children's responsibility to challenge all things. It's us as parents to be responsible for our children and what they're being taught. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So try and find out what's going on in your school. What are they being taught? Challenge some of those things. It will be difficult to challenge some of those things. There may be times when we do have to pull our kids out of things. Perhaps. Paul moves on from parents and children. And uh, we're coming to, to a close. I haven't got as much to say about this. You'll be pleased to know. But Paul addresses others within the household of his day. And he says this in verse 5. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with a sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve all-heartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So Paul is here referring to Christian slaves. It was reckoned that there was around 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And it was just an accepted institution. It certainly, uh, we can say that as Paul here is talking about Christian slaves, uh, maybe our modern equivalency of this is, is Christian employees. And, um, and how they should act uh, towards their employers. Uh, Paul gives several good reasons why these slaves should be obedient to their masters. First of all, they're really serving Christ. They're really serving Christ. I wonder, again, for us, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? When we go out into our place of work tomorrow, uh, do we go along thinking, well, actually, I'm serving Christ. I see this as, you know, as a Christian, I'm serving Christ. I'm not serving Fred, Susan, whoever she is, your employer, your boss, I'm serving Christ. And as I'm serving Christ, I am going to do a good job. Because that's the will of God for me as a Christian. The slaves, you can imagine some of those slaves would have been quite uh, angry about their situation, antagonistic towards their owners, not maybe wanting to do a good job. But Paul's saying, look, if you're a Christian, you're serving Jesus. And what is he going to say? You're serving Jesus and you'll be rewarded by him. Your reward will come later. Just serve Christ now. Serve Christ. It's the, it's the idea again, uh, again that we need to get in our heads, don't we, which we struggle with, 
that, you know, we have, we have this idea that Sunday is sacred and Monday is secular. You know, we, we, we come here, we worship, we, we hear from the word of God, we pray together, we fellowship with each other. Well, that's, that's very sacred. But when we go out into the world, well, that's secular. Well, no, we, we take Christ with us, don't we, into the world. If Christ truly indwells us, if we're born again in the spirit of God, he goes with us wherever we go. He goes with us into our place of work. And so we carry him with us. So we're serving Christ, not men. And Paul's saying, you know, you Christian slaves work as if you're serving Christ himself. And finally, verse 9, he says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So again, the Christian masters are to treat the slaves well. As Christian employers are to treat their employees well in the same way, with respect, with integrity, with concern. You know, some employers rule by threats and carry them out ruthlessly. Maybe you work for someone a little bit like that, you know, and they're, they're, you're always wondering whether you're going to keep your job or they've not given you a, a raise for however, however long or people have been promoted above you, whatever is going on. But we've got to see things through Christ's eyes. And if you're an employer, then you're to treat your employees with respect and lead by example. What does Paul say here in, in conclusion? He says, you have a master in heaven who will hold you to account. That's basically what he's saying. We'll be held to account for the way we treat people. Friends, as the Lord Jesus treat people in a very kind and loving way, he said some harsh things at times. We need to imitate him. And Paul says, God shows no favoritism in his judgment. So it doesn't matter, matter whether you're the pastor of the church or you're just someone who does a little ministry just you know, in the background somewhere. You, you, there's no favoritism in God. If you're the Christian employer and you've got all this vast wealth and you've got all these employees, God sees you all the same. He will treat you all the same. He will um, call you to account just the same. There's no better reward for the pastor. There's no better reward for the Christian employer. We'll be judged by how we've acted in this life not by the position that we've held. So Paul is concluding his teaching here, and he's going to move on to spiritual warfare next week with Simon. But he began with that submission, which began back in 521, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Relationships are hard, friends, aren't they? Uh, our marriages can be difficult. Um, our parenting can be really hard work at times. Our situation as our jobs as an employer and employee can be fraught with frustration and difficulty. But in our respective roles, Paul exhorts us to remember that we're serving Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we come before you and acknowledge your word and the challenge of your word to us. That Lord, we are to be Christian in all our activities and that we are to be if we're parents to be good parents that our children should honor us doesn't mean they'll always like what we say but we know Lord that they're to follow our lead and if we as parents get things right they would honor us they would follow us they would be led by us pray for our children Lord 
that, Lord, you'll protect them from a godless world. You protect them in school, that you would uh, uh, edge yourself around them so that they won't be uh, pulled away from faith by a world that's trying to teach them something radically different to what your word says. Watch over them. Help them to stand for you, Lord. And help us as parents, Lord, to love our children and to, to show them the way to go. And um, we ask too, Lord, that uh, in our place of work, we would know that we're serving Christ. And uh, we, we, we uh, work um, as we ought, as one serving Christ. So, Father, help us, Lord, uh, whatever our station in life, whatever we're doing, uh, help us to stand up to the challenge of the world around us and to stand firm on, on Christian truth, Christian principles, that, Lord, we might please you rather than please men. Help us to do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.